0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. We are in a summer sermon series the crown. We are looking at three successive kings, starting with Saul, the first king of Israel. The next king after Saul was, somebody help me out, King David. King After King David was? Solomon, okay, and then we stop there because it just kind of goes sideways after that. Uh, so we've spent a few weeks talking of Saul, and the purpose of this is the text that we have, this, this text, and again, hold on to 1 Samuel. I'm just going to throw up a couple scriptures here because these are the scriptures that we continue to roll off of each week throughout the summer. The first one is James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So much in that one verse right there. But do you... First of all, we will have a life of trial. But having stood the test, trials are not to overcome you. Trials are to really perfect your faith. That person will, having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Then over, Jesus spoke in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus said, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on to what you have. There's, there's something about when you receive the crown of life, hold on. Because there will be that which tries to take it from you. So, Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our hearts to your scriptures this morning. Enlarge our horizons to see you better and your plans for our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of really what I want to talk about today is uh, we've talked about Saul, and Saul actually did lose his crown. Very sad, We uh, a couple weeks ago we actually made reference, and they took his crown. That's what Jesus was saying, hold on so that no one takes it. They took it. The crown was lost. Uh, the, the we're on David now, and the topic today, I want to talk about, David is, is yet to, he's been spoken of as being the upcoming king, but he is yet to have the crown placed on his head. So he knows he's going to be king. Some people close to him know he's going to be king, but the crown has not yet landed on his head. Still on Saul. Saul's still alive. It's slipping pretty drastically off Saul's head. It's going to land on David. And so we're right in the in-between here. Now, this is so important. I did not want to miss this. I did not want to jump ahead. Because the Scripture talks a number of chapters here in Samuel. Before we get to David's reign in 2 Samuel, when we move towards the end of 1 Samuel, it talks of how God prepares us for what we must face in life. God was preparing David. God's preparing us. The things that we will face, there's a preparatory process taking place. And so the title of today is, the theme is around learning to lean on Jesus. You don't just lean because we tend to lean on ourselves and we lean on things we think are our support systems. But there is coming to Christ, there is a whole reversal. The transformation is a process of learning to lean on Jesus. I'm going to suggest it doesn't come naturally for me. I tend to want to think I can do it. I tend to want to think, well, if I can just have enough money, if I can just have the right job, if I can just, you know, have the right people in my life, then everything will work out. That's what society tends to tell us. But we need to understand, God was in the process with David, but we need to learn to lean on Jesus, and so that becomes the focus of that. If you want notes, again, there's a QR code. You can grab the notes. Uh, You can have that for you. But I... I want to start off, some of you may remember a song, it will date you again, I tend to do this, I don't know why, it will date you. The song is called Learning to Lean, Um, goes like this, sad, broken hearted, at an altar I knelt, I found peace that was so serene, and all that he asks is a childlike trust and a heart that's learning to lean. Now you might not remember any of that, but you may pick up on this. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding help me out here. Finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Some of you know that song. Very simple little chorus that I learned as a little gaffer. Learning to lean. I'm learning. Learning to lean. This is I. I just picked up on that chorus and I wanted to use that as our our theme today. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. When we read through the story of the emerging of David. If you have your um, Bibles or devices, if you were to go to 1 Samuel, I found this amusing. I was just looking at this. I flipped back a few pages and the heading of my in the Bible of each of the chapters was quite interesting. 1 Samuel chapter 15. The heading says, "The Lord rejects Saul as king." Then chapter 16, the heading, Samuel anoints David to be king. Then chapter 17, David and Goliath story. Who doesn't like that story? We like that story. Then chapter 18, Saul's growing fear of David. 19, Saul tries to kill David. 20, David and Jonathan... We're going to even make it to 21 today. David and Nob. When you like to be... You just imagine. Where are you from? I'm from Nob. Okay, David and Nob. And, and we'll stop maybe at the uh, 20. We're just... Uh, so, you go through. You see the rejection of Saul. The anointing of David. We talked of that last week. And then David began to be formed and fashioned. We see that, how God fashioned him in isolation. He was a... Uh, He looked after the sheep. He was a shepherd. And out of that, God, his heart, and David's heart were akin. And David was being fashioned long before he came into recognition. Because he wouldn't come into recognition until we get to chapter 17. In chapter 17, right after David's anointing, chapter 16, chapter 17, you have the story of David and Goliath. I've chosen not to tell the story of David and Goliath because I'm I'm guessing most of us have heard it. If you haven't read through, it's a chapter. It's a great chapter. It's an easy read. It's an inspiring chapter of David and Goliath and defeating Goliath. Uh, I really want to kind of pick up at the end of that and then the next couple of chapters talking about David. Again, invite you to read ahead. Uh, For next week, we're going to continue... Continue to read the end of Samuel on into 2 Samuel. After David had killed Goliath, he was a hero. He went from a boy out by himself in the field with the sheep to national hero, virtually overnight. I mean, that is a tremendous ascension to power. He was a hero. He was spoken of by everyone. They sang his songs, a hero. Here's the point. David... That would be absolutely a death wish if you gave him the crown at that moment. He's not ready for the crown. He's got a lot of crutches in his life. He's leaning on a lot of things that will not support him as a king down the road. You know, I don't know if you've ever had to use a crutch. Uh, I have. At one point in my life, I had injured my knee in a motorcycle accident, and so... um, Uh, I had to, for a few weeks, hobble around on a crutch. How many here have had to hobble on a crutch? You know what we're talking about. Go ahead. You've had to hobble on a crutch. They're miserable things, aren't they? Uh, At least I found it. Better than trying to do it on your own. But you have to depend on that, which I didn't like. You have to depend on that crutch to bear the weight. And David had a number of crutches. We all have crutches. Things that we lean on that are not permanent. And God would have to deal with a number of crutches. I want to address some crutches because this story, I'm going to identify some crutches here, that God needed to remove these crutches. Now, in and of themselves, they're not bad, but they are not best. And God, if David was to wear the crown as God intended, some things had to go. David had to learn. Remember, you don't automatically lean on Jesus. You must learn to lean on Jesus. And to do so, systems got to be knocked out so that Jesus becomes your sole strength. Bible says an evil spirit would frequently enter King Saul at this time, and Saul grew to despise David. Now, please remember David had done nothing wrong at this juncture of the story when we get to chapter 18. He's a model of humility, he's a model of dependability, and he's a model of integrity. It's not that he needed because he needed God's intervention because he he was doing bad. He was doing good. The point is is sometimes things are happening, not because you're sinning, or you're making mistakes or you're doing bad. sometimes it's because you are doing good. But God recognizes that in order for you to accomplish what He has for you, there are things that will get in the way. So I want to share five crutches. Here they are very quickly this morning, the removal of five crutches in David's life. I found this interesting personally. Number one, the crutch of a good position. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 18 that David had been brought into Saul's army right after the story of Goliath. Story of Goliath chapter 17, David's in the army chapter 18. He's not only in the army, he's personal bodyguard to Saul, and he is in a very prominent position in the army. He's a heroic soldier. He's he's probably around the age of 20, 21 years of age moving in around 19, 20, 21, where he comes into this for a prominent place in the army. Uh, This was unheard of. And what happens then in, we begin to go through chapter 18 of Samuel, David brought into the army, proven himself faithful, but he's in the midst of this, the situation, Saul's Envy and anger towards David is growing. David is a threat. Saul is fearful of this young man. This young man was a threat to Saul's throne. In Saul's mind, even though David was faithful, nothing but faithfulness. And so Saul was threatened, and Saul would attempt to kill David. And David would escape, barely, from Saul's anger. David was given leadership, Over a battalion of soldiers. He would win conquest after conquest against the Philistines, which was the enemy of the day. Not a bad position for a young 20 year old, but gone. I want to pause and reflect. Have you ever had a good position and it taken from you? This is the story here a good position, maybe a job. Then there comes that moment, thank you, but really you're no longer valuable to our company. Your job's gone. Maybe you were given a responsibility where you could really evidence your strength and who you are and your giftings and your skills and gone. We often identify people with position and God and David's situation, he was One of the leaders of a battalion, he had been head, bodyguard next to Saul, gone. David would not any longer be in that position. He lost his position, the crutch of position. The second thing I want to draw your attention to was David would lose his wife. Uh, We've not yet talked about her in the story, so if we step back a little bit in the chronology of David's life, Saul had promised that whoever won the battle with Goliath, if the battle would be won, he would, he would inherit, if you would, his daughter. Now, the system was you marry the oldest and then work down to the youngest. Saul had a whack of daughters, and so David would stop, start with the top daughter. And so David did win the battle with Goliath, and Saul had promised, and so David would, was supposed to marry the oldest. But in the last minute, Saul... Pulled it from David, gave her to another man, and David didn't have that. Unbeknown, Saul then came up with another idea. We picked this up in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20, if you want to follow with me. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, this is another daughter, was in love with David. Now we never heard the older one in love, so it, all good things, it wasn't to work out. But another daughter of Saul was in love with David. Here we have it, verse 20. Now, Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Verse 21, I will, not listen to this, I will give her to him, he thought, so that, listen, she may be a snare to him. Okay, this isn't looking good. And so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, Now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Not the best of intentions. Saul deceitfully uses his daughter as a pawn, asking David to pay up a hundred Philistines. He wanted a hundred dead bodies of the Philistines. You kill a hundred of them, you can have my daughter. I'm just really glad that Laurie's dad never put that on my plate. You kill a hundred of them, and you can have my daughter. Well, David said, I'll do better than that. He killed 200 of them. Well, he got the daughter. But the whole purpose, the plan behind this, this hideous plan, was to put David at the front of the battle lines. Hopefully, in the attempt to get the girl, he would die. That was the plan. That's where it was. He thought to himself, he thought to himself, I will give her so that she may become a snare, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. That was the plan, that he would die. Uh, It didn't quite work out that way. Saul tries then to kill David. And so he didn't die at the hand of the Philistines. So David married Michael. Looks like they're going to live happily ever after. Saul then, another one of these raving moments, tries to pin David to the wall with his spear. David escapes he runs back to his wife. Nothing wrong in this. Runs back to his wife. We pick this up in 1 Samuel chapter 19 now, verse 11. Saul sent men. David had run back to Michael because the father-in-law is not happy with him. Verse 11, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. Saul's watching his daughter and his son-in-law's home so he might see David come out and kill him. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Looks good. In order to get away from Saul, David has to run from his wife now. And then Saul learns of this, and she now has to concoct a story for Saul, or she chooses to. Dad now faces off with his daughter, upset that she'd let him get away. We pick this up in verse 17. So she lies. She's talking to dad. Verse 17, Saul says to Michael, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy, her husband, my enemy away so that he escaped? Now, listen to how she answers. Michael told him, he said to me, let me get away. Here it is. Why should I kill you? Now, that was not the story. That was not the story. She was the one who tipped him off and said, get away. And David got out. Then Daddy comes along. She turns to Dad and says, he was going to kill me, Dad. I had to. He was going to kill me. In essence, David's wife now deliberately sabotages their relationship. Never again will you in the story later on see harmony in their marriage. You see strife. And her lying about David merely makes matters worse between David and his father-in-law. Now father-in-law thinks he's trying to kill the daughter. Now he's really upset. So God removes another crutch. David had leaned on his wife. She's not there to lean on. So David runs to the prophet. It's very interesting. You see him moving. He's desperate for help. I don't blame him for this. He runs to Samuel, desperate to lean on somebody. Help me, please, someone help me. We pick this up, third point I have here, where God removes David's mentor now. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 18. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Now, Samuel wanted to go to the city of Naoth because Naoth, interesting, if you if you do a little background check, Naoth is architecturally designed as a city. It's really hard to find anyone who didn't want to be found in that city. Naoth was one of those cities that you could hide in. That's why Samuel helped out David. Let's go to Naoth. We'll hide in Naoth. It's really hard for for Saul to find you there. No sooner had they got to Naoth than someone tipped off Saul. David was a Naoth. The advantage is gone. So David fled Naoth. He had to get out of Dodge. He fled Naoth. And he runs to Jonathan, Saul's son. He's still on the run. We pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father? That is trying to kill me. So in the process, David loses Samuel as another crutch. And now he's about to lose his best friend. Point number four, David, God removes David's best friend. You see in the story, you see as you go from chapter to chapter, David losing support systems one after the other. Do you see that? The king's court, his wife, his mentor... His emotional stability is eroding. The once calm, confident young warrior that took down Goliath is being chipped away. It's being chipped away over and over. This is strategic in the reading of these texts. We see this as David cries out to his young best friend, the king's son, Jonathan. "'Why is your father trying to kill me?' David wants to know. "'What have I done wrong? What sin have I committed?' That has so angered him. Together, David and young Jonathan lament on David's misgivings. We pick this up now, chapter 20, verse 3. But David took an oath and said, "'Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes, Jonathan.' And he has said to himself, "'Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved.' Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. I mean, you just feel David's lament. You just feel the pain. I'm just one step from death, Jonathan. Your dad is so close to taking my life. And I want to pause and reflect. Have you felt that times, maybe not your life, but who you are, your identity? It's like, I can't get my feet under me. Everything I try... Gets pulled out from under me. Ever felt like that? What's the use? What's the use? I'm going down anyway. We pick it up in verse 2. Chapter 20, verse 2. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Note this part. Then David left. And Jonathan went back to town. The two-part company. The story of 1 Samuel chapter 20 is a very dramatic one. I suggest if you have the time to read it again. Take the time to fully read chapter 20. It's a heavy story. Ultimately, Jonathan, his best friend, goes one direction. And David's forced to go the other. What a horrible moment for David. God had taken away David's position. His wife his mentor, and he loses his best friend. What more can happen? What more could you take? Crutch number five, his own self-respect. Chapter 21, verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. Yeah, it's actually going to get worse. (laughs) Gath. Now, let me just bring you up to speed about Gath. What's so important about Gath? Goliath was from Gath. Not exactly the best town to run to. You are not a hero in Gath. Goliath was their hero. David runs to Gath. David, are you nuts? And here is David looking for the king of Gath. (laughs) The story gets really interesting here. Was he conspicuous? Yes. Here's the man who killed their champion walking deliberately to the headquarters. And as you would expect, he's immediately recognized. 1 Samuel chapter 21, we pick it up, verse 11. But the servants of Asha's said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? In other words, he killed our guy. He's the one that took our our town boy. Isn't he the one that they sing about in their dances? Here's the song that the people in Gath had heard. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashes, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Beloved, this morning, this is our man, David. Let's remember, this is David, our guy. Anointed king to wear the crown, to be the greatest king. The city of Jerusalem to be named City of Zion after this man. And here he is scratching the doors of the gate. A madman drooling off of his little beard. I don't know how much of a beard he would have had at 20. Drooling off of his beard. There's our champion foaming at the mouth. Make no mistake, David hit rock bottom. He's hit rock bottom. When you have one of your crutches removed, things begin to erode But we see one after the other after the other. Now I want to just show, never let it be said scripture's not full of humor. Scripture really does have some funny moments. I want to pick, want to show you some funny ones here. Verse 14 and 15. I get a kick out of this. 21, 14, and 15. Asha said to his, this is the king of Gath. Asha says to his servants, look at this man. He's insane. (laughs) Why bring him to me? I like verse 15. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? I get a kick and I laugh at this. Am I so short of crazies around me that you have to bring one more crazy to me? Funny. I've got enough nuts in this court. Do you have to bring me another nut? My point is this. David couldn't even find relief in the enemy's camp. He's tossed out. Here's what we need to, I think, learn from David if we're to wear the crown. There are things that, when we lean horizontally, will not support us to wear the crown God has given us. And there's the removal of some things that are necessary. We might fight and kick and scream, but perhaps God might be in the middle of it. He's preparing us for these times. There might be centuries between David and us, but this man's experiences, I believe, are as relevant as today is to us. This is about learning to lean. Not simply on others. Not simply on other people. Not simply on things. But learning. Learning to lean on the Lord. David knew what it was, was to have crutches kicked out from underneath him. And perhaps you are learning it as well. As children... We can lean on our parents. In school, we can lean on teachers. We can lean on our peers. We can lean on our brilliant minds. We are good in educational circles. So we lean on education. I'm a smart person. I trust my ability to know things. And as we head towards our ideals, our goals, maybe we lean on the hope of our future. When we reach adulthood, we lean perhaps on our job, our profession, our careers. They're stable. We might lean on our husband, our wife, maybe our financial security. We can trust our financial security. We might be leaning on an older friend, an adult who's like a parent to us. None of these of themselves are wrong, but here's the point. If we lean on those without first and foremost leaning on the Lord they can become a crutch in our life. Three warnings to all who prefer to lean on others. Number one, they can become substitutes for God. Deuteronomy chapter thirty-three, twenty-seven 27 says, The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He says, lean on those everlasting arms. Only God is to be that strength. I am to ultimately lean on Him. Isaiah 41 verse 10, do not fear for I am with you, do not be anxious, look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The removal of substitutes from God. Secondly, when we lean on others, these can tend to keep our focus horizontal. When you lean on another person or another thing, your focus is sideways, not vertical. You can find yourself constantly looking to that other person, relying on that thing or that secure bank account or your health or whatever it might be. These things continue to keep your eyes horizontal. And thirdly, when we lean on others, they offer only temporary relief. We turn to some remedy that will soothe or comfort us, dull our pain. There are billions of tablets people take every day. There are drinks that people take every day in order to endure the storms of life. And yet these merely intensify our problems. God does not give temporary relief. He offers a permanent solution, learning to lean on Jesus. Some of us this morning, some of you here today, perhaps are experiencing God's removal of some of your dependencies. For some, it's been a broken romance. The man or woman you felt God had for you has left a deep scar and hurt. For others, the death of a dream. For others, it might be you put your trust in your health. Well, that's fleeting. Secondly, final lesson for learners. I want to just share a couple of things. There's nothing wrong with leaning if you lean ultimately and completely on the Lord. This is a walk of faith. The invitation has come. Learn of me and lean on me is from the Lord. Do you know what that we are all built to be leaners? It's okay to lean. Nothing wrong. But let's first and foremost, I'm learning to lean on the Lord. And secondly, being stripped of all substitutes is the most painful experience on earth. It really, I think it is. Being stripped of all substitutes is so painful. There's nothing more painful than being stripped of the toys of our heart. So here it is, the last point today. So why don't you just go ahead and relieve yourself of them before they're taken away? You just make a decision. I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to lean on that. I will... Grow in my relationship to lean on you, Jesus. Lord, I trust in you. I acknowledge you as my Lord. I come before you first. Seek first his kingdom. And I learn to lean foremost on him. Don't make an idol out of your position. Don't make an idol out of your possessions. Enshrine the Lord in your heart. Learn to lean on him. David needed to learn some things if he was going to wear the crown. And maybe we do too. It was extremely difficult for David. I could only imagine those few chapters trying to live that in that day. And it's extremely difficult for me. It's extremely difficult for you. So I come back and I close with that song that I was reciting earlier. Sad, brokenhearted, at an altar I knelt. I found peace that was so serene. And all that he asks is a childlike trust and a heart that is learning to lean. So, Lord, I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power than I'd ever dreamed because I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.